came up and said hello to me like we'd known each other forever. <laughs> but you did. And you did it respectfully. And sure. you were like, I know you're really busy, but I just like to say hi. And, yeah. you know, you're authentic. And that's that's half the battle, I think. This is Van Collar. We're at the West Coast. My name is Mo Amir, and today on This Is Van Color Together, we are celebrating the podcast's 50th episode. And joining me in this milestone is an ultra-talented, groundbreaking, authentic, and entertaining Vancouver media personality who has spent 30 years in both local and national media. As a veteran TV and radio broadcaster, her extensive career includes being a sports anchor on CTV, CBC, and Rogers Sportsnet. You may recognize her from her time as a host on CTV's Breakfast Television alongside Riaz Megji. Currently, she's a columnist and alongside former Vancouver City Councilor George Affleck, she is also the host of the podcast Unspun for the Orca. And if that is not enough, she also fills in as a host at CKNW Global News 980 AM, a recipient of the Paul Carson Sports Broadcast and Journalism Excellence Award for Leadership. She was the very first woman in the history of Canadian television to host her own sports show in primetime. She is Jody Vance. Jody, how are you? I'm good now. I got goosebumps on that intro. Thank you so much. <laughs> it's quite the career. Well, mostly right now, I'm. I my biggest title is mom. That tops everything. Yeah, it kind of does. But I, I kind of forget. <laughs> I forgot other, that one. But I forget the other stuff. So thank you for that lovely introduction. It it kind of, it, it, I don't know, fluffs my feathers a little bit. It makes me feel good. Thank you. Well, it makes me feel good that you're here. I am. So honored that you would celebrate 50 with me. Here we go. I have to get this on the record. Okay. You are one of the nicest people I've met <laughs> in Vancouver's media scene. And I have met a few people in Vancouver's media scene. And to be honest, they're all nice. They've all been very nice. But when I met you, it was at CKW. And I was there for one of my spots in the Linda Steele show. And you were working away at your desk, and I totally interrupted you. I loved it. <laughs> like, you're, hey, you're Jody Vance, right? And you were super sweet. You dropped what you were doing. I, you let me pick your brain for a little bit, and you couldn't have been kinder about that. So I really appreciate that. And I want people to know. Well, that's nice of you. I, I, I don't know what to say to that, but I'm glad. I'm glad. I, I, I want that. I want to be nice. <laughs> so that that's good. And I'm, I'm always up for uh, lovely people who come by and introduce themselves the way you did. Oh, thank so you. So you have a hand in this as well. You're very <laughs> respectful. And yeah, I was just about to fill in for Charles Adler. And I was, I was sort of taken aback. I actually thought, oh, my gosh. You know, did I is my hair in a ponytail? What am I wearing right now? Do I look I don't look like Jody Vance, do I? You know, radio. I wanted to make sure you were Jody Vance, first and <laughs> foremost. <laughs> I am Jody Vance. So I'm of the belief that kindness is easy, but being dismissive or, or not being kind can be even easier sometimes. And as I was digging into you and your career, I realized that you and I might have similar philosophies or outlooks on how to approach life. Clearly, you value kindness, as you exemplified in being kind to me, but you also seem to have a certain faith in, in karma. I read something about you saying what you get is what you put in. And when you look at facing challenges, you also think about challenges as something that will just pass. And you've been quite open about that. So I want a rundown of your manifesto. Give me the Jody Vance philosophy. Well, I can give you... Uh an idea of where the inspiration for those philosophies come from, because sure. I come by them honestly. Uh, I've got an incredibly strong family mm -hmm. of unbelievable women in particular. I've got great mm. men in my life, don't get me wrong. <laughs> I could name a, a long, long list of, of incredibly support, supportive people, but my two most important guides in life, mm -hmm. my mom, who was a single mom in the 70s, which was very difficult for her, working professional, hmm. had to deal with upheaval in her life in a way that, 
looking back now, I don't know how she did it, but she did. And she did it in such a magnificent way, bringing up my brother and I mm-hmm. until the next incarnation of family or my stepdad, who's been my stepdad now for more than 40 years, um, came in and, and added to our family. So he's a big part of it, too. But my mom and her mother, my maternal grandmother, who um, we called her Motma, mother's mother in Danish. Okay. And she was a brilliant um, unapologetically strong yet incredibly kind woman and she taught me the values that I live by today and hope to pass on to my son and she was the one uh, my, my mom taught me to be fearless always be prepared save for a rainy day mm-hmm. don't expect somebody else to pay for anything you do in this life you earn it you spend it don't you know my mom was very keep your checks and balances in a row because she had big upheaval in her life. And my grandmother who survived a war, there's a whole big story behind how she and her husband were separated and how my mom and aunt and grandmother and grandfather ended up coming to this country. I'm I'm born of immigrants. Um, My grandfather being Yugoslav, my my mom was born in Dubrovnik. We're very melted pot in our family, uh, but experienced a lot. So there's my Danish grandmother who really did teach me that life is going to take me on many different paths and 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 some will be fun and mm-hmm. some won't um and she just she just reminded me over and over again that as a person you would hope that the one that you love or the one that you care for your friends your family what have you if they're in trouble they'd call you right mm-hmm. and i'd say yeah yeah i would want them to call me and she'd say because you could help them yes and she goes remember you always have you. And in my darkest moments of like, oh my God, everything's going wrong. Mm-hmm. I think, what would I do if I was helping a person that was going through this? Now apply it to myself. And it helps me get through those moments that are like, I don't think I can make it. Because everybody has those. Sure, yeah. And then you go, wait a minute. <sighs> I can do this. Yeah. What's my next move? What's my next positive step that I can take? I don't want to wallow in what could go wrong. Mm-hmm. Not cup half full. Definitely. Or not cup half empty. Excuse me. Definitely half full. Yeah. And so she really showed me that root mentality and everything else sort of comes from that. I don't fear change. Mm-hmm. Uh, leap and the net will appear. That's Sportsnet in a nutshell. I went to Sportsnet <laughs> sure. in Toronto and I thought, oh my God. God, somebody's lost their mind putting me in this job. And I thought, well, if they're going to give me an opportunity, I'm going to do my damn best right now. I'm going to try my best. Absolutely. And it turned out it was good enough. <laughs> what? <laughs> you know, every day I'd go home and going, wow, this is scary. Yeah. And fantastic. And I'm so glad I'm risking falling down and skinning my knees hard mm-hmm. because this feels really good to do it. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm a, a good balance of bruised and, you know, buoyed. And I think that's what helps convey your authenticity. I mean, I, it's not just me saying that. I've seen you described as very authentic. I appreciate that a lot. So it's it's cool that that's in your identity. You know, it would be very easy for you to say, oh, well, you know, I went to Bali one day and I came across this philosophy and that's where I learned it. But this is very much in your DNA, which I think makes it so much cooler. Yeah. The gift from from Maltma. Yeah. My my my, the women in my family, I tell you what, they wouldn't let me think of myself as a girl. You're a girl. So therefore you'll do this. There was none of that in our family when there are lots of boys and guys in our family. Yeah. Um, But the expectation was that you are an equal. So, you know, get out there and mow the lawn. (laughs) Right. You you absolutely can cook, but get out there and mow the lawn, too. And in a simplistic sense, I could do anything I wanted to do mm-hmm. as far as my family was concerned. So it wasn't until I actually got out into broadcast media and I was told that, well, at this point, women are, you know, traffic gals or cruiser chicks or weather girls. You're not, not sportscasters, certainly not wearing glasses. And I'm right. like, well, but that's what I'm going to do. So um, see on the news. <laughs> <laughs> and I got a lot of like, mm-hmm, good luck with that. Yeah. Because I was very librarian. I still am very tomboy librarian girl. So Let's get into some of this gender stereotyping. Okay. I came across an interesting 
scandal, if we can call it that, that you were involved in 17 years ago. Scandal. Oh, God. (laughs) That's a scandal? By by Canadian standards. Oh, okay, okay, okay. You posed for a publication called Urban Mail Magazine. And by the way, there are no photos of this online. I looked. Really? I could could only find the cover, which has uh, Catherine Catherine Humphreys on it. What a beautiful picture of Catherine. Great She's unbelievable. I love that picture. Anyway. And what's crazy is, so I'm reading all these news articles talking about it, these archived news articles. And it upset a lot of people who claimed that you, Catherine Humphreys, and Hazel May, who was also in the magazine, were not only compromising your own reputations as sports broadcasters, but the three of you were effectively reinforcing old stereotypes and setting back the gains made by women in sports media specifically. Clearly, though... Your careers, your reputations, just fine. We're fine, yeah. And there are more women in sports, broadcasting, and journalism in this country than ever. And they're more sleeveless and scantily clad (laughs) than I was in that magazine. The big scandal was that I didn't have my glasses on. (gasps) You were wearing jeans. I was wearing jeans and a bustier, (laughs) fully covered. And I didn't have my glasses on, and I had my my hand over my for I'll, I'll send you the picture. It's uh, please do. My husband carried around the Polaroid from that photo shoot because I came home like, well, I did this today, and he's like, <laughs> I'm putting that in my wallet. It was so fun. It was set up by the people at Sportsnet, by the PR and marketing people. It was all done by the big machine mm-hmm. to go and do it. And when I have to tell you, and I don't know that I've even told the story, when I arrived, uh, they said, you're going to wear this and this. And they handed me these two tiny little articles of clothing. And I'm like, well, no, I'm not going to wear that. And they said, well, that's what's going on the cover. And so you need to wear this. I'm like, huh. well, then I'm not on the cover. Like, I'm I'm not wearing that. I said, I'll wear those jeans and that bustier. And they said, okay. And I went and put them on. And then we did a photo shoot. And it was super fun. And as I was leaving, I saw Hazel doing her photo shoot. Mm -hmm. I thought she looked beautiful. I saw Catherine Humphreys waiting in in the uh, lounge area looking sharp. And I'm like, I get to hang out with these women on the pages of this (laughs) magazine. Because guys are going to love it. And guess what? It's Urban Male Magazine. Yeah. It very tastefully done. At the time, I guess, it it irked people because we weren't fitting into the mold that they had 17 years ago. And right. I would love to rewind to 17 years ago and have my body back. <laughs> when I'm reading descriptions of your photos in particular, the only thing that they're saying is that you were holding your hair provocatively. Not even that you were giving a provocative look. Like no. They talk about you being in, in jeans and in a bustier, but then... They just say, and she's holding her hair provocatively, which I don't don't know what that means. I I don't know what that means either. So you and I are on the same page. You know what, though? I think there was a want to discredit women in sport at that time. Yeah. Because, I mean, Catherine Humphreys, uh, here in this market in Vancouver, where we're sitting today, Mm -hmm. we don't really know the genius of Catherine Humphreys. Like, and and Hazel May in her own right as well. And what she's, she's the most baseball knowledgeable person that I know. I mean, she's married to a baseball player. She's, she's been there, done that, has the stats off the top of her head, knows the game. Catherine Humphreys is a is a sports broadcast genius slash entertainer in mm-hmm. a way that is like Letterman-esque. She's now married to Johnny Faye, who's the drummer for the Tragically Hip. Oh, okay. Um, and they she retired because she had uh, twins. That's right, yeah. Right? That's and she was like, you know what? Four I years ago. But she had like, um, Fox Sports USA battling with Rogers in Toronto to to up her like they just kept throwing money at her for yeah because she's that talented who cares what she's wearing <laughs> who cares so yeah I don't know what I was even doing in those pages on, on multiple levels but I was happy to be involved <laughs> but it was crazy because you had Keith Olbermann yeah on CNN blasting the three of you, which in 2019 goggles is batshit crazy to think about. It is. It's insane. Are we allowed to say shit on here? Great. You can say whatever you okay, want. Okay, I'm just checking. Oh, I was kidding. You can say no, whatever but... the fuck you want. <laughs> I love that about you. <laughs> okay, so you just got an explicit on YouTube. Um, no, uh, Keith Oberman, I remember that hurt my feelings immensely. Yeah. Because I had such respect. And I still do. I like what he's doing today. Sure. He's an animal activist. Mm-hmm. He's backed out 
largely from media after doing his resistance. Yeah. Uh, against well, he said the Trump. war was over. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> but I appreciate I appreciate so much of what his authentic voice is mm-hmm. that without even ever talking to me. Yeah. He decided that this photograph uh, of me defined me. Yeah. And that pissed me off. So I did, and I had uh, what's his name? Brian, Wait, you did. Brian, you you're t- you were typing with your hands. Uh, you Brian Gumble, <laughs> Brian Gumble, and uh, what was he doing? HBO Sports uh, show with it was Brian Gumble and somebody else. I can't remember, but their producer actually called me oh, and wow. said, "Will you come on?" I'm like, "Hell yeah, I will." Oh. And then I, they said the pre-producer sort of segment, and I was like, "This, this, 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 this," and they said, "Okay, we'll call you back." And they said, "You know what? Yeah, no, we're not going to do a segment on it because I think they were going to go." the angle of where Oberman was coming from, which is, what? How dare this happen? And then once we had a chat, they're like, oh, right, okay. No, sh- they should be able to really do whatever they want <laughs> in 2002 in yeah. sports. And we're not, it's not like we posed nude. Yeah, They were so far from erotic or exotic or whatever. They were just pretty pictures yeah. of smart, I'll th- throw myself in with the smart women, who happened to be on the rise in the media and people love to tear people down. And I don't, I don't, you know, I've made mistakes in my career. I, what you said off the top about me being kind, I have been dismissive. I have been a bitch, but I've learned from those moments and said, you know what? I don't want to be that person. Yeah. So I've apologized where it was needed. I mean, it wasn't big deals, but I have made mistakes is my point. So, I mean, if you want to come at me on my mistakes, do that, but don't come at me on a picture yeah. because I'm holding my hair provocatively, <laughs> which I... Yeah. But you're a human being. Of course, we all make mistakes. Right. But the idea that you're not allowed to exercise your autonomy in posing for some nice photos. And as you said, we're not talking about pornographic material no. or things that are, you know, even... Not even close. It, we're talking it, about... We're talking about the September cover of Vogue magazine. Yeah. Like, if what J-Lo wore to the Grammys is, you know, outlandish, (laughs) that's a 10. What we were wearing was like a 2. Yeah. It just doesn't... No. Do you think that that would have been a scandal today? No. I think... If if Megyn Kelly posed for Maxim magazine... No. no. Oh, I think it would be, I don't think it would be a scandal. I think it would get attention. Yeah. But people But in put, the same way? No. Because people put that on their Instagram now. Everybody's yeah. doing it. I mean, look at Kim Kardashian. Is Kim Kardashian because of a sex tape? Yeah. Like, okay. So that is the base, <laughs> right? There was a time where people were incredibly uncomfortable with women entering into the sports domain. I think that has more to do with it. Megyn Kelly on Maxim magazine would cause a stir because of what Megyn Kelly's been through recently. Mm-hmm. And if she was looking for publicity that way, people would probably come at her that that's not the best way to make your way back onto a cable news network. Mm-hmm. Like, whatever. Um, and, and that would be her decision if she wants to do it and somebody wants to attack her for it then the attacker looks bad too yeah i think we're 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 finally at a place where women are allowed to do what women want to do the same way men are allowed to do what men want to do i think it should be equal in that regard Mm -hmm. um yes people need to be careful of their brand and yes they need to be cognizant of how choices they make might impact public perception if you live in the public eye but as i said when i left that photo shoot i knew it was going to I literally went straight back into Sportsnet, into Dave Valengal's office and said, and Dave Rashford, the two PR and marketing. And I said, hey, guys, so this happened today. And they're like, OK, all right. And then, I mean, they could have pulled so the thought, whole thing. you thought it was going to be a thing? I, like even right, right after the shoot? Because they were great pictures of fabulous women. And at the time, people wanted us to fit in our blazer with the logo on it, kind of, you know, golf shirt. Right. right. Women on, I don't know if you watch a lot of sports networks now, but like I said, they there are fewer sleeves now on sports sure. TV than there were on me in that photo. Like, yeah. And it's fine. Where would you want to wear? Just be ready, prepared and smart and salient on your points that you're delivering. That's what matters. Absolutely. Yeah. Let, let's touch on this idea of how the industry and, and media in particular has been changing, okay. especially when you started to now. I'm old. 
<laughs> you don't look it. Thank you. You look very young. See, back to my family. Good genes. <laughs> Good genes. You've seen a lot of changes in the media landscape over the last three decades. Yep. You've been on the forefront of a lot of this change. So is setting aside like the technical technology change of internet and iPhones and all that other stuff, how has the culture of news broadcasting and journalism changed from your vantage point? That's a good question. That's a good question because it's changed because I've changed and it's changed because of the reasons that you pointed out. Like the internet changed the culture in a newsroom exponentially because now you don't even necessarily need to talk amongst yourselves as much as you need to keep research, research, research. Mm -hmm. Back when I started a newsroom, culture was very much about communication. Who have you heard that from? How many people have independently confirmed that you needed three sources to say the same thing and those three sources can't have been in contact with one another right like there's a there was a legitimate like we're not going with this at six Mm -hmm. because we won't be able to get it confirmed until 11 and (laughs) and now you don't even wait till six it's going up on the website in three minutes can we get it up faster you know you have to be that first one or you know for you want to be the first one to have it right and gotcha so does that matter to have it right? I mean, I know it, it matters, matters, in it a matters mor- to me. I know it matters in a moral sense, but yeah. just in, in the commercial sense of news. I'd way rather be right than first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would, uh, when I make a mistake that is factual error, yeah. I beat myself up more than any other thing that I do. Hmm. I, don't, I don't like having the facts wrong because I do have the trust of my listener, of my viewer, to, to think that she knows what she's talking about. I trust her. If she says it, it must be true. Yeah. And if they only hear that one thing that I got wrong, I'd be like, oh, God. I'm just thinking of in the context of American news specifically, where oh, it just seems like totally they're just story. they're just in a race to get something out. And you get it's all worse these than like, that. yeah, all these like think pieces out on something already before even the facts come out. Or you know the what breaking I mean? news. Yeah. I went to Palm Springs. To, my folks have a place down there and I went to visit them at spring break two years ago, I guess, mm-hmm. deep in the Trump. Frenzy that's still ongoing. Um, Never ends. (laughs) My mom loves to watch CNN. She loves it. And back in the day, I would watch it back, like way back, OJ. You know, then then they started covering like Anna Nicole Smith's death, twenty four seven, three sixty five. And I'm like, I I I know enough about this now. That was a simpler time, right? But I tuned it out back then, ish. And I would pick my shows that I liked to watch and Mm -hmm. and that I trusted. Um, I can't watch it now. And I, you know, I love Rachel Maddow, but I can't watch MSNBC for longer than a span because you're, it's like, this is our chant. This is our chant. Like, don't even get me started about Fox News. Other than there are a couple of really good news people who do the news side. Yes. But the talk element, it's just, I'm so grateful to be Canadian. I'm Mm -hmm. so proud to be a part of Canadian media. And when we get fake news, fake news, you know, are you being told what to say? I can honestly, from my soul, knowing that I don't like to spew non-facts, never once in my entire career have I been told what to say. Not one time. Hmm. Not, can you frame that differently? You know, we have a we have an advertiser, so we need you to da-da-da. Never. Like, not ever. Yeah. Um, but that's how people view the media. They think that there is a meeting every morning, and here's how we're going to frame the news. No. And I've heard, I've heard Linda say that same thing that you just said, that she's never been told how to frame anything or what to say. It would be challenging to find somebody in Canada... Mm-hmm. who has been told what to say. Yeah. It would be challenging in a reputable news organization. I mean, now, going back to your initial question, one of the first things I thought of is it used to be, here are the seven trusted news sources. Mm-hmm. Let's say in, in Vancouver, you had the Vancouver Sun, the province, uh, the Georgia Strait, the Courier. Um, then you've got the radio stations, the news, the CKNW or mm-hmm. WX, which is News 1130 now, CBC Radio. Um, those are your CTV, uh, Global, uh, City TV. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got your main outlets. And now we're talking on one, right? You've, sure. got, you've got podcasts and blogs and and direct email um, newsletters. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of people feeding a lot of people 
And just social media, people and so, throwing up a video on Twitter. and There's a lot to sift through, and I'm, I fear that many people have tuned out the reputable, reputable sources yeah. that they should be paying attention to. Uh, like, I love working at the Orca. Mm-hmm. The Orca.ca is uh, like an online newspaper that is hyper-focused on BC politics mm-hmm. with a federal angle when it warrants that and also a municipal level when it warrants that. I mm-hmm. did not know as much about the BC legislature uh, as I do today sure. because of the ORCA and also working at CKNW because it yeah. matters. But if I sit around a dinner table with my knowledgeable, you know, successful group of friends and I'm like, have you heard of what's going on at the BC legislature? And they're like, nope. Yeah. But they can tell me exactly what's happening in the United States. Absolutely. And I'm like, your tax dollars are actually here, though. <laughs> so we should engage here. Yeah. So that's my next sort of chapter in incarnation is to try and help 11-year-old son. I want him to be a knowledgeable voter. He's mm-hmm. not that far away from voting. Yeah. And I want him to vote. And not when he's 40. I want him to vote when he's, you know. I have more friends who know who Sarah Huckabee Sanders is or or Anthony Scaramucci is oh, the mooch. Than, than they know, you know, who the BC legislative speaker who has been in, embroiled in a lot of news than Darryl who he Plekis. is. Yeah, it's Write crazy. Write it down, people. Daryl Plekis. It's interesting to me because I think it's not only, I would assume, it's not only the news and broadcasting and journalism that's changed, but it also is the consumption. I feel like... And this is just in memory, thinking of how my parents consume the news. They would read the morning paper while having breakfast. They would go about their day and then they would come home and watch the six o'clock news. And that was it. And I think about me and how I consume the news. Oh, tell me. How do you? Well, it's like I'll get up and while I'm eating breakfast, I'm going through Google News. And I might even have one of those daily podcasts on in the background, like Up First or the New York Times has one the called daily. The Daily. Yeah. Love it. So I'll have that on the background, but I'm also going through the news. And then uh, maybe I'll have that on in my drive to work. And then at work, I am working, but I'm still, I got the Twitter tab open and I still have a Google News tab open and I am checking them probably more than I should. Probably more. Yeah. Like 80, 100 times a day. <laughs> Yeah, I should do, I should actually do a count to figure it out. As a Tim Cook said, uh, that the stat was eighty to one hundred times a day, but in fact closer to two hundred to two fifty per average. Whoa. Uh, all of us, like I think about it, I, I I say, oh no, I was just checking the time. I can't say that anymore because I have an Apple Watch. Sure, it's like no, I was actually <laughs> looking at my phone, and then you're taken into the vortex, and all of a sudden you're like, I went for Twitter, but now I find myself in Instagram on my way to Facebook. This is not good. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the thing. I don't know if it is good to be that consumed in news, whether it is U.S. politics or local politics, just to constantly be a part of it as an observer. And I'm totally about being informed and gathering information and sharing information. You have to be. You're a producer of your own podcast. <laughs> right. And that, I mean, but, this is where you get your intel. But what's it doing to our, our psyche? What's it doing to the psyche of the people in, in the newsroom? Well, the newsrooms are depleted to a point where it's not healthy for anybody. And that's another big change, yes. right? Yeah, it it really is. And that is not to say that the people in the newsrooms aren't top of their game, working their hardest. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the most talented, hardworking people I know. I mean, I'm, I'm a part of uh, a couple of the teams. Sure. And, and I have so much respect for the craft. Uh, but what I used to see in a thriving newsroom that was... Um, charged with uh, covering a city truly mm-hmm. and, and and getting the stories, not just where the camera happened to be, but the stories of yeah. the city um, are lost now because we don't have the number of bodies where they need to be doing the investigative journalism. I mm-hmm. mean, thank goodness for the Kathy Tomlinson and, and Sam Cooper. And, and if not for Sam Cooper, we wouldn't know about the money laundering yeah. to the extent that it, it is and has damaged and impacted British Columbia and now really Canada. But without Sam going through FOI documents, we'd still be like, oh, I don't know. Yeah. What's he was happening? the impetus for people screaming for a public inquiry or for screaming for more official yeah. investigations into what he, was happening. He pulled back the curtain yeah. on the wizard. Yeah. And it's like, oh, that's what's happening. I see how fentanyl is coming to the country and then the money's being laundered and then it's being used to purchase big homes mm-hmm. because it needs to be and then you flip the house and then you take the money and you send it back and you go get more <laughs> fentanyl and you when yeah. he when he connected all the dots I thought to myself where where's law enforcement yeah well they're busy 
But now they're busy at the right things because of investigative journalism. And when mm-hmm. people want to say, oh, the media, it's actually, no, the media is your team. Mm-hmm. We're your people. We're your front line so that you can go about your day. And if you didn't look at your tab all day, if you didn't look at your Google um, feed or you mm-hmm. didn't look at your Twitter all day, you could tune into CKNW or tune into Global News or, or whatever your news of choice is. CBC News Network. I love CBC News Network mm-hmm. as well. And you could get caught up fairly quickly with exactly what's going on without any shrapnel, without any sort of fake whatever, bot, somebody, (laughs) what's your favorite song today, you know. Here's a top 10 list. Just tell me your birthday and your mom's maiden name. Trust me, I'm going to give you your latest personality (laughs) test. It's like, no, don't do it. Top 10 best photos of Jody Vance getting caught in that slideshow. Oh, yeah, great. (laughs) What color is Jody's hair today? How do you think, let's let's pull it back a little bit. How do you think the culture in Canada has changed? In the media? In the media or just in, in general? general? Oh, I'm a very proud Canadian. I think, uh, well, I'm, that's a, that's a double-edged question. Because the culture in Canada, I think, when Gord Downey of the Tragically Hip in the final years of his life, once he knew he was dying, mm-hmm. um, took time away from his family to shine a light on the fact that we aren't the Canada we think we are mm-hmm. with regard to First Nations and Indigenous peoples. I really feel strongly that that needs to be more than, I'd like to acknowledge that we're standing on the unceded territory of fill in the blank. Like, yeah. stop saying that and actually fix the water problems. Like, yeah. there's some real issues. Like, we have no excuse to not have all Canadians with with drinking potable water. Mm-hmm. Like, come on. So, with that one caveat aside, um, I think that as um, a country and as a culture, while politics can be noisy or staring down a federal election, um, depending on when you're listening to this podcast, but we're we're so um, inundated with that sort of noisy, this is what's wrong with them and this is what's wrong with them. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, we are incredibly lucky to yeah, live here. Absolutely. I love the fact that I'm of uh, immigrant descent and... I absolutely feel like this is my home. I was, mm-hmm. I was born in Vancouver. I was raised in Vancouver. I've lived in Toronto. I lived in the United States for a brief period. And that was enough to know that I love Canada. Yeah. Because it's just, as much as there might be some scary undertones as there always are in any culture, because mm-hmm. there's there always going to be extreme fringes, I think in the middle, in the squishy bit, we're really rock solid humans. Yeah. So culturally speaking, depending on where you go coast to coast, you're going to find just about every single person's really proud of that flag. Yeah, Yeah. I would agree with you. But let me throw out an idea. Okay. I think, and again, I'm not really speaking from personal experience, but I'm speaking from what I can gather, that inequality has increased in Canada. And as this example that you gave with Indigenous tribes where some of them don't have clean water, some of them don't have adequate housing, a lot of this inequality is now coming to light. And the more we see this polarization, the more we see things like this sort of anti-immigrant rhetoric, populism, these type of things. And I'm not saying it's the end of the world or it's end times or anything like that. I'm just saying that these things are starting to creep up within Canada. No doubt. And... I think it's been particularly highlighted in the last five to 10 years, and it is something to be concerned about. And this divide has even created such tension that some people are willing to ignore facts and science. I mean, we have Elections Canada talking about how it's partisan to say that climate change is real. And that's a reflection of some people legitimately believing that Climate change is a political hoax. Which is ridiculous. Can I just say? And that's not partisan. (laughs) Believe science. Science is like magic, except it's real. Yeah. Right? So, wow, science. So I agree. Like anti-vaxxers come come to mind. Exactly. Extremists of any kind. And you're absolutely right that we need to pay attention and Mm -hmm. not be naive to the fact that those parts of society exist. It drives me crazy when the anti-soji. Yeah. Like... I have a child in school learning that SOGI 123 program. Mm-hmm. I've been a parent sitting and listening to the program before it was delivered to my child. I'm like, yep, 
Sounds good. Tell them everything, right? Like, yeah. why, how could this possibly be? And there are people with, honestly, throwing down hate speech against uh, the parents of people who are uh, transitioning, kids who mm-hmm. are maybe gender fluid, don't really know what, what. And if a parent doesn't lock them into the gender that they were born in, then mm-hmm. that's child abuse. Like, come on, guys. So yeah. there's a reason why... I say guys, but there's women there too. But that 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 is one of I think, like you were saying, the the inequity when it comes to whether it's profiling, racial profiling, mm-hmm. or the um, the loss of the middle class. Doesn't matter what ethnicity you yeah. are. There's sort of that lost middle because the wealthier getting wealthier, and the affordability is clearly an issue. But n- I believe. That again, back to my grandmother, sure. cup half full. We have to keep trying mm-hmm. to make it having this conversation, you and I, and addressing the, that we acknowledge that that is part of what's happening in our country. Mm-hmm. Somebody listening will be like, right. So there's a way of talking about it where we're not screaming at each other, <laughs> exactly. right? Because that's the problem. Everybody's <laughs> screaming at each other. I believe this. Well, you're wrong. I believe that. It's like, well, how about we just meet in the middle, yeah. be Canadian about it. And, and have a discussion. What's making you so mad? Mm-hmm. Why are you so fearful of that? What what happened to you to put you in the position that you're in with that opinion, that strong opinion that's excluding people or right. race or religion or whatever? Um, so, yeah, you know what? You, you make a good point in that it's not rainbows and unicorns in Canada, but it's way worse elsewhere. Oh, 100%. And that's my... I would definitely not undermine... What you originally said, I think if you are here, more likely than not, you're, you've hit the jackpot in terms of a global perspective. Right? Exactly. We agree. Do you think that social media engages us more as a civil society or plants more divisions amongst us? Or maybe it does both in some sort of paradox. Depends on how you use it. Yeah. I like... That's a not not the word I want to use. I love. Uh, no, <laughs> definitely not love. I've often said that if I wasn't in the media, because I do use it as a tool, I use it to find stories. I have contacts. I can yeah. put my word out there. I can have an opinion on things, and I have a weekly column on the Orca, and I put mm-hmm. it on Twitter, and then people retweet it, and then sometimes policies change because the squeaky wheel started a little thing, and somebody went, "Hey, what a good idea!" or "I like that idea. We should talk more about that. Let's do." Yeah, you create a dialogue. Yes. So I enjoy that. Now, if I was all of a sudden, um, I don't know, $50 million richer Mm -hmm. and I didn't have to do anything but just do what I do, I didn't Mm -hmm. have to like do a job, um, I would shut down all of my social media. (laughs) I would. Yeah. I would shut it all down. Yeah. If I didn't have to be in it, if it was just a peripheral thing, I I don't care about likes. I I don't care about impressions. I don't care about visits. Yeah. I would still do the podcast with George. I'd still do this podcast. I just wouldn't be checking on Twitter to see how many people liked it or retweeted or whatever. You could become the philosopher queen. I could. Just sitting on a mountaintop and musing Namaste. on life. <laughs> no, I'd still be super busy. I'd probably be rescuing animals like crazy. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd be riding horses somewhere. Yeah, It strikes me as interesting because I think social media is the gasoline on this fire that we have in terms of the polarization and increasing inequality and inequity that we see in our society because now it's empowered everyone to put on lenses and see the world that they want to see in. I mean, it becomes becomes such a tool for confirmation bias, no matter Mm. where you are. And you just get even more riled up in it. I mean, I obviously love social media. This thing would not exist without social media. The people I've been able to talk to, being on Steele's show, being on Ed the Sox podcast, which yeah, I'm on now, so cool. like it just wouldn't exist if I didn't right. if I didn't have this accessibility. But at the same time, I see it. And now, being a year into Twitter, particularly, I see the same people in Vancouver. Having the same arguments, yeah, on a nearly weekly basis. I am now picturing the people that you're talking about yeah. because I also know who you're talking about. Some of them are my friends too, totally. which is terrible. Not terrible that I'm friends with them, but it's terrible to watch them constantly get in this cycle. Because we all, yeah. I've got into the little Twitter spats. Everyone has done it. It's fine. Not me. I'm no, sure you have. No. <laughs> oh my god! Did you but see it, when I posted a random question about plastics? <laughs> 
<laughs> I was attacked for two solid days from all over the world. Yeah. And, and but I, 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 I that's to... not what I said. That wasn't what I meant. No, I didn't mean. Oh, and I stopped replying. I was just like, you know what? Never mind. And you have to know when to pull your feet away from yeah. the fire. I think I had to mute that original post. Thank God. Because it just kept coming up in my timeline. I couldn't find anything else on Twitter because I had seven people who were nonstop for 12 hours posting like minute to minute to minute to minute to minute. And I don't like to block people. Mm -hmm. I've changed my my tack on that. They're blocked. And then they used me blocking them as a thing. And I'm like, that's fine. Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, People are either going to like me or they're not. Yeah. I I can't. My point is it's it's such a powerful tool one to engage with people no doubt to have a dialogue to learn new things and to and to have immediate access to information but i feel like we almost have to go through some sort of curriculum in school in terms of how to use Agreed. this thing appropriately and how to use it effectively like even when you when you are in school and you, we probably went through the same curriculum of learning how to use the the library directory to get the book that you wanted like you were given a decimal system yeah exactly yeah and you were given tools Mm -hmm. to figure out how to navigate the library and i almost feel like we need that kind of system for the internet taught to kids in terms of how to get information i agree with you and i'll take it one step farther because we call it social media but i believe it's actually media and what you and i are comfortable with microphone and and having this and and it going out to strangers to take in. Uh, But kids are handed a device that's basically a TV or a radio station in the palm of their hand. Mm -hmm. And they don't realize that that snapshot, even when they think it's Snapchat and it only lasts for whatever, it's there forever. Yeah, it's somewhere. But one tiny mistake Mm -hmm. can live with a kid for a very long time. Yeah. And I mean, I, I'm so glad you can, that there was no social media <laughs> when I was in high school. Oh and my ex- God. Excuse my French, but you can fuck up your life. Totally can. On the internet. Yes. And we're only one generation in to having it in the palm of your hand. I believe that in school, to your point, that in school there should be courses and classes mm-hmm. that not only talk about how to find your information, but also how you present yourself. Like we could media 101 yeah. in a classroom so that kids could actually understand. Because to assume that they know the ramifications and the... Of course not. Of course they don't. Especially... It's, <laughs> it's like, I mean, I can speak as a as someone who was a boy. No, I did so much stupid shit as a boy yeah. without the internet. <laughs> yeah. That if I had it now, like it, it kind of scares me that they're given this portal to everything that's dark in the world and also everything that's light and in also the world, right? access to everything that is them yeah like everything that they think everything that they see yeah it's and yeah it's 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 a weighty heavy thing but i'll tell you this if you're listening to this podcast right now and you have kids and you worry about it follow jesse miller mediated uh, oh, okay. Yeah, reality, yeah. Uh, on Twitter, he's great mm-hmm. for that. He talks about di- digital citizenship, which I think the class in in uh, elementary school, if not early high school, should be called uh, uh, digital citizenship. So recognizing that something like Twitter is not real life, but there are real people on Twitter, yeah. and, and it can have real world consequences. What do you think? Twitter says about our culture right now. And I'm thinking of this hypothetical scenario where a thousand years from now, some sociologists or maybe some archaeologists from another planet begin to sift through all this data. What do you think that they would make of us from a macro view? I think they'd say, well, only 10% of the population's on Twitter. So what were the 90% <laughs> were these the elites doing? <laughs> what is it? No, but lots of them are fighting with one another. Yeah. Um, but I like to find, and I had a really cool thing happen to me yesterday on Twitter randomly. Um, but, you know, when I, I like to watch what Sarah Silverman does, because mm-hmm. she's definitely got a perspective. She's not afraid to share it. Some of it's not safe for work. Um, she can be saucy. Uh, but she also reached out to somebody who lashed out at her. Mm-hmm. Um, and handled it in such a way that I think could teach society a little something about kindness. And, mm-hmm. and maybe I like to think about what I'm putting out there and what my tone is mm-hmm. when I'm on Twitter. Because if there's one person who's having their worst ever day, if I see that go by on my timeline and it, you know, I don't, I don't know them. They don't follow me. I don't follow them, whatever. I just happened upon it. Mm-hmm. I will 
hit that and say, I hear you. I see you, just so you know. Yeah. And I, sometimes the fun stuff that rolls by, I can't remember who it was that uh, that posted yesterday. Uh, Travis Akers, I think was his name. And he's like, who's your Twitter crush? And people are like, Missy Elliott, Tom Selleck, or no, Tom Hanks, and da, da, da. And I went through, and I'm like, hmm, who's my Twitter crush? Like, who's my favorite follow on Twitter? Yeah. And it's actually Andy Lassner, who is a senior producer on The Ellen DeGeneres Show. Oh, okay, cool. He's amazing on Twitter. Okay. Like and and he's he's politics and he's kindness and he's thoughtful sort of dialogue as you would imagine on Ellen's team. Mm-hmm. Um anyways, so I put Andy Lasner as my tw- Twitter crush. Next thing you know, boom, he likes it. I'm like, "Oh, that's kind of cool. That makes <laughs> you feel good." Hits me up in the DMs. Thanks for that. You made my day. And I'm wow. like, "Okay, that's real you made world." His day. That's real world connection. I'm yeah. never meeting Andy Lasner. I don't need to meet Andy Lasner, but he is now my full-on Twitter crush. Yeah. And when you find good people to follow, remember when it used to be hashtag Follow Friday or FF? Was that what? It sure. Was? Yeah. Right yeah. back in the day, back when the archaeologists they'd be like, "What happened there?" <laughs> people got sick of following but each there, other. I follow you. Yeah. And I follow you because I met you that day. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh, look at this great podcast. Look at all these guests you've had. I got to start you know, putting this on my list. And you can find great gems on Twitter. But sure. you can also find a boat, let me say, a shitload of hate on Twitter <laughs> if you go looking for it. Yeah. If you're just going to go look for a fight, you will find it and it will make you nuts. Yeah, that's just it. And Don't I, do it. I have a strategy now where there are some accounts that I even follow but I will just mute them because they're just always getting into arguments about something. They want to. Yeah. And like, I like them. Yeah. And, I, and, and sometimes they have some great content or whatever. But when we're done on, on this podcast, you can tell me. Who absolutely. Those are. I, yeah. I want to know. But I feel like you, ha- you as an adult have to be responsible for curating your social media experience. Right. And again, I, I don't think we're kind of learning as we go along, but I, I do think we have to do that. And, and also recognizing that as adults, we are not perfect. We can easily be baited into some beef in Twitter or some arguments that in retrospect, we're like, oh, I wish I didn't get involved in that. And the immediacy, right? Yeah. Because we need to hit back right That's now. But my agent years ago told me, if ever you find yourself in one of those situations where you want to hit back right away, write it down and save it in your drafts. Sleep on it, and if it still makes sense the next day, hit it. Because hmm. nothing you still is, do that. I I do. I want I want to take a look at your drafts folder. I delete them. <laughs> I delete them. No, but I don't find myself in that baited scenario. I find that I try and over-explain myself, and then just dig yeah. myself in a deeper hole. Because then it's like, what about this? And what about that? And then I'm like, oh, you just want to fight. Okay, well I don't I don't it's I don't want to do that. I got other stuff yeah. to do. I'm going to cook dinner. And it's hard to have a nuanced discussion, even. On Twitter. I mean, I've certainly tried, and sometimes it has been relatively successful, but it is hard just because of the constraints and also because there seems to be a need to want to dunk on each other. <laughs> right, which I don't want to do because yeah. I go back to my grandmother, what would Montmo do? Mm-hmm. And she has no she had the flashing 12 on her VCR, so not really on the technical <laughs> side with this one. But in, my, in the back of my mind, I'm like, would what, I, what I'm about to do, would that make her proud? Would she see the relevance for my message here or am I just reacting? Yeah. Because we all get in our times where I'm like, oh, frustrated at that topic or come on, fix the sewer system or whatever it is. Yeah. Or Um, why doesn't everyone think that SNC-Lavalin is a big deal? (laughs) Right. When people are like, SNC what? (laughs) Don't you get it, people? Sheeple? Sheeple. (laughs) Oh, that's a good one. I'm I'm stealing that one. We got to wrap it up here soon, but... I think you're an incredibly poised broadcaster, a very tactical interviewer. And again, as I said, the, the more that I do this podcast, the more I start to peel back some layers and see things that I, maybe I didn't see. So it's really a pleasure to listen and, and see people like you and Linda Steele. And Oh, I love Linda. However, I have to maintain that imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Okay. And you've been impersonated on television. I have. At least twice. Once by Jessica Holmes on Royal Canadian Air Force, and a second time by Riaz Megji in drag. Yes. On breakfast television. On Halloween. 
How surreal is that? Loved it. Yeah. When when Riaz uh, decided to leave BT recently, because we're still friends, we're going back and forth. I'm like, buddy, mm-hmm. you're gonna love sleeping in. And he's like, oh, you got to make sure you're tuning in tomorrow because you're you're in the real. And I'm like, oh, okay, great. Mm-hmm. And he's like, it's my favorite moment. I'm like, I know exactly what it is. He goes, no, you don't. I'm like, Halloween when you dress like me. He's like, damn, <laughs> you know, because it. They did it an is, amazing makeup did, job. Oh my god, wasn't that unbelievable? He was wearing the exact the, suit that I was the wearing same outfit, yeah. from Twist Fashions. He was wearing. He even had the little Yorkie dog because I adopted Baxter, my Yorkie, right. from a little dog rescue fashion show on breakfast television my first week working there. Yeah. Crazy. Um, but yeah, that was a highlight for me. And Jessica Holmes, when when she used my persona and the way she did me, air quotes, um, I was so excited. I was completely taken aback. I'm like, I have now made it. Are you kidding me? Yeah. And the way that they used me as the straight person mm-hmm. to make fun of athletes, I yeah. thought was even better. Like I just died a and little. her impression. Oh, she's her, so good. Particularly like the way she was speaking and her mannerisms were pretty much spot on. Like, on. I thought they were amazing. Uh, yeah. I mean, Riaz was obviously having fun with it. Yeah. With my <laughs> shoes. <laughs> but just her, yeah, that was you. It yeah. Was cr- Did you know She's unreal. about, I mean, I, I guess you didn't know about Riaz until he came out, but did you know about the Royal Canadian Air Force that they were going to do that? How did you find out? I found out just before it aired. Okay, cool. I wasn't, given, getting- I wasn't given the heads up, like, it's coming, they're going to do something, whatever. I yeah. got the oh, you should make sure you're tuning in because it's really good. Okay. Yeah. Wow. What was that like when you were watching it live on TV? Because it's way different now where you get clips of things, but you're watching the show. I just, it's so surreal. Honestly, my whole, this is going to sound kind of Pollyanna, but it is legitimately true. Like so much of what has happened to me over the course of my career, I feel um, is surreal. Like I feel, did that really happen? Did I... Did Scott Moore really like put me on the desk at Sportsnet <laughs> in 2000 like when he had all these other guys to pick from he he did that yeah. and I and then I didn't know until afterwards that I was the quote unquote first like you'd said um in the intro and I was re- when I was told that I honestly I went God, I'm so glad I didn't know that beforehand because I probably would have thrown up. It's a lot of like, pressure, I'm not, yeah. I'm not a don't you know who I think I am kind of person, but I am like, I'm up for the challenge. Let's do this. I'm going to try my best the whole way through. And then sometimes I come out the other side and go, I can't believe that Ron McLean just threw to me yeah. on uh, Hockey Night in Canada. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. Show and the Canucks are in the standing up final. Like all of that just happened. And I'm like, well, at least I didn't crash the fancy car. You know, so when Jessica Holmes was impersonating me on Royal Canadian Air Force, I was like out of body. Mm-hmm. I I felt like that. Oh, my God. Like this actually is happening to me. Yeah. It's not just in my head that this is crazy. It's so cool. Yeah. And then the P- Carsoni, the Paul Carson Award was like another capper for me because that uh, I gr- literally hate it when I say this. I grew up watching you, but I did. Well, Paul Carson and Don Taylor and John Shorthouse and, and sure, uh, yeah. the, the crew on on the page. Um, and so when I got the call that that I was getting that, I humbled, humbled, just incredibly humbling all of it. Yeah, very like like being asked to be your fiftieth. <laughs> no, it's true. That's not on the same level. It is actually, <laughs> believe it or not, it actually is because I'm not used to being the subject matter. Okay. And so when somebody says, can we come and talk about you for an hour? I'm like, what am I going to talk about? Well, I've been enjoying myself. Well, I'm glad. Yeah, it's been, it's been a delight. I hope it wasn't a disaster because here's the next question Uh-oh. for you. And okay. it, we're, we're about to wrap up, but have you ever interviewed someone where it was a disaster? Because I do actually, I didn't think it's about you, but there are times when I come into the booth and I'm like, oh God, I hope this doesn't go completely sideways, especially with a politician or even a comedian where I'm like, what if they're not, like they just don't want to be on? And I, I worry about that. Knock on wood, it's been okay so far. How about you? Have you had a disaster interview? So my stock standard answer, because my um, young son loves to say, what was the worst thing that happened? Blah, blah, blah. Whatever it is. What was the worst thing? What was the meanest thing that somebody did? Or what's the worst thing that ever happened on the radio? Whatever. And I often say, you know, I try not to remember those Mm -hmm. because I'll I'll just, it'll go round and round and round in my head and then I'll not enjoy the good stuff. Yeah. Um, That's my my mom answer. Um, Funny enough, ironically enough, 
the column that is coming out um, this week as we're taping this podcast, hmm. I actually reference what I found to be one of the most uncomfortable um, discussions that I had. I didn't name the person that I had the okay. uh, interview with, uh, but suffice to say, he didn't appreciate my line of questioning. Oh, yes, and was and we and was this recent? Um, fairly. Okay. Not not really. Okay. No, fair I, but not. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, not want for un or rehashing it because mm-hmm, I don't sure. think anybody was at fault. Yeah. I think it was just a scenario where I asked a question, he gave an answer, I challenged it, and he was offended. Right. And it didn't go well from there. Yeah. Yeah. And then he was mad. I went to shake his hand afterwards, and he kind of, yeah, no. <laughs> and I thought, okay, well, that's not typical. Yeah. And I felt bad, and I wouldn't want anybody to leave an interview scenario feeling upset or angry with me, because mm-hmm. I certain my intent was not to be disrespectful. I listened to it back, and I was not pointedly disrespectful. I think he was just expecting that he was going to get to say what he wanted to say unchallenged. And that, you know, eh, that'll happen. But they don't happen often, I guess, is my answer. That one sticks out for me. And it's got to be three years ago now, two years ago. Yeah. I have had a disastrous celebrity counter. Oh, have you? Yeah. Who? So I was the... Best man in a wedding party. It was one of it was. I guess I can call him my best friend. He was getting married. We went down to Scottsdale for the bachelor party. Nice. And we were staying at this resort. It was pretty nice. Three nights of debauchery, d- debauchery, Love drinking, it. all that stuff. Yeah. So I'm I'm sharing a room with the groom, as it would be, and so we're going down for breakfast, and we look like shit. Like we probably smell. We're just not. Ba- <laughs> Bachelor weekend. Yeah. And it was three nights yeah. of drinking. So we're we're going down. It was a casino and we're kind of going strolling along. And my friend looks over and he goes, Holy shit, that's Steven Tyler. And what's oh. crazy is I grew up with with this guy and we used to listen to Aerosmith as kids, like as little kids, like six, seven years you old. You and the groom? Yeah. Oh man. So I've known him since we were five or six. Love it. And we're just like we're, I'm just like this is the greatest and I'm you know Eastern philosophy all that shit yeah. just like this is the greatest omen ever yeah. oh my god and we're like walking up to Stephen Tyler <laughs> and before we could say anything he goes no 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 I'm not him and it's Stephen Tyler like yeah. there's no mistaking him and it's yeah. he's dressed out in the clothes and it's also ten o'clock in the morning so. I don't understand what an impersonator would be doing. And also, yeah. there's no impersonator that looks like that Steven spot Tyler. on. No. Yeah. yeah. And so I, we were kind of caught off guard. And my friend was actually the one that was clinging on. And he was just like, but but you look exactly like him. Yeah. And he was just kind of, and he was sitting with this very beautiful model. Living his best life. It was clearly Steven Tyler. Yeah. And we just walked away from it bumped. And then when we were checking out later that morning... We asked the receptionist about it, and we said, you know, was Steven Tyler here? And she said very strategically, I can't disclose any information about any guests, but I can tell you that we've been playing Aerosmith all morning on the casino room floor. Funny. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's not a bad, I guess, interaction. The uh, way you It was disappointing. It, disappointing for sure, yeah. but the... I mean, you can't blame him if you really did look like you'd lived the uh, three-day bachelor party. He might have been like, not now. You told me that I have a great approach, Jody. <laughs> you do, you do. I just think Steven Tyler probably you, has it all the time. If it can work yeah, on you, I'm it sure. It worked on me, dude. We're good. Right now, 2019, Yes. who is the best person to interview in this city? The best person to interview in this city? Yeah. Metro Vancouver, let's say. Wow. Oh, my gosh. That is a hard question. I've got, like, every topic flipping through my head. Because it's like, am I talking sports? Am I talking Talking politics? whatever. Just an interesting interview that you would come across your radio dial and you'd be hooked. Oh, that I'd be listening to? Sure, I yeah. Thought, I thought you meant who I want to interview. Oh, um, or both. However you want to take it. In this city. I honestly cannot pick... 
just one? Because it would it be the controversial one? Because I have a few things I'd like to say to Chip Wilson. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. So there's that kind of thing. I love chatting with George Affleck. I obviously because sure. we do the podcast, but. I get to ask him all the questions I don't know the answers to with regard to politics, and mm-hmm. he he cleans them up for me so that it makes them consumable for me. Um, I love my time talking with Charles Adler. Sure. We yeah. call that therapy. I okay. call him Doc, because every time we talk, I never know where he's coming from. He just asks me authentically what I think. Yeah. Because I'm like, I'm no expert on that. He goes, you're Canadian. You have an opinion. Let me let me ask you the questions. You tell me your honest answers, and that'll yeah. be good enough for me. I'm like, okay. I might piss him off, and I don't even know it. But I always feel better <laughs> after, right? Sure. Um, oh, the best interview. That's a really hard question. Um, I'd love to sit down with Trevor Linden. You know what? That's my unicorn, too. Really? Apparently, he is impossible to get a hold of. Yeah, I've interviewed him a few times. I actually have <sighs> his cell number, but I promise to never call it without going oh, through communications first. That's fair. Um, we'll talk after. But he is, yeah. We'll that's sh- why I did we'll the number. Sh- no, we'll shoot for episode a, 100. He's such a private person. No, and that's fair. Yeah. my Because he was my childhood hero growing up. And weirdly enough, there's a photo of me when I was eight and I met him and you can tell I'm just like, my, you know, my eyes are wide open. I'm <laughs> clearly in shock. And then... I must have been 26 or 27 through this business thing, basically ended up having dinner with him. Like we were at an event and I was sitting down and I said something to, to him earlier and he couldn't find a seat and was like, hey, can I, can I, can I sit here? And I was yes, like, yes. Trevor Lindy, you can. <laughs> so I was like, oh, I wish I could tell the yeah. eight-year-old, my eight-year-old self that you'd be having dinner happened. with Trevor Linden at some point. He came on breakfast television, my first show. Oh, really? I was, I was That's asked amazing. in the first week in 2011 who do you want in your first week? And I was like, well, I don't know. Uh, Trevor Linden, Michael Bublé, my cafeteria teacher can make cookies with my son. Sure. And all those things happened. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. No, Trevor's a Trevor's a lovely guy. And I started in media in his rookie year. And okay. I spent a great deal of time covering the team cool. in my radio days. But, like, he'd be doing the pro-am celebrity baseball tournament at Softball City and I'd be the media person that right. was playing with the Canucks against the other whatever and we'd just be like okay and I watched that man sign hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of autographs oh I bet in front of a Safeway 500 people showed up there was only supposed to be 100 people there he yeah. stayed until every single last person had an autograph like oh, for he sure. is salt of the that. earth worthy of our worship is what I'm saying I love Trevor Linden yeah even my husband's okay with that that's my unicorn. There you go. High five. <laughs> we got the same guy. Here you go, Trevor. You know who I think the best interview in the city is? I have two, and I know that you've interviewed one for sure. Okay. The best interview in this city, particularly on the political angle, Brad West. Oh, Hands my down, God. I love Brad West. Just a soundbite. I had him on for 90 minutes, and it's just 90 minutes of sound bites, yeah. and they're amazing. And yeah. he's just, again, it's it speaks to his authenticity. It's not that... It, People will say, oh, he's scripted or he's grandstanding. No. I think that that's just who he is. And he was he's pretty much the same. He's scripted and grandstanding? Uh, you, who the hell said that? I, I go I go deep in the Twitter threads. Yeah, okay, Twitter, <laughs> but whatever. But no, uh, he talks the way he does off mic as he does on mic. And yeah. when you when he's on something that he's very passionate about. He wants it, to sit in for George when he goes on vacation on Unspun. That would be amazing. Yeah, George is like, hell no. <laughs> no, we love Brad. We call him Brad Pitt West. Yeah, I can <laughs> see that. Yeah. The other interview, which I think is, she's been on CKW a few times, and I know that you have specifically interviewed her as well. Dr. Caitlin Dunn from the Pacific Center of Reproductive Medicine. Oh, yes. She's amazing. And she She takes this issue of infertility, which has so much taboo shrouded around it, and makes it accessible and makes it fascinating. And her work is fascinating. And again, that, that is someone that is clearly passionate about their work. So when you talk to them about this. And obviously it's a much different interview than a Brad West, but it still has that authenticity and passion in no terms question. of that field. And I think she is so fascinating and creating Articulate. a dialogue that we also just creating a dialogue that we haven't seen and haven't heard. Yeah. She's exceptional. And my son is an IVF baby. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. So you have so that personal connection in, as well. In yeah. Our conversation, my motivation with her was to help somebody listening to navigate the very difficult choppy waters of of struggling with infertility. Mm -hmm. And she absolutely gave, I don't know, 
two dozen nuggets yeah. in six minutes. Yeah. It was unbelievable. It was the most informative on that topic. I didn't even need to talk. Yeah. And I knew that she was hitting it, hitting it, hitting it, because I've been there. I lived it. Mm-hmm. She's right. She's right. She's right. She's right. So you're right. She's amazing. So imagine me, basic bro. What would I know about infertility and IVF and all this other stuff? And she just broke it down in a way that was not only informative, but super fascinating. Yeah. We got philosophical with it, but then we got very technical with it in terms of what the procedures were. It was great. So yeah. I think she's an underrated interview in this city. I would support that. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I also love talking to Dana G, if I can throw that in there. You know Do Dana I? G? No. Okay, so Dana is a columnist with The Province, but she's a movie critic. Oh, okay. So you see her on Global Morning News on the weekends, and she's she's just... Awesome. If I could build my own radio station, I would do an, an afternoon drive show where I was co-hosting with Dana G. I just love it. You think I'm authentic? Check this girl out. Follow her on Twitter. You'll I will. Love her. Yeah, she's Absolutely. on vacation right now, but when, when she's back at her, you'll be like, uh-huh. <laughs> yep. Good to know. Yeah. Our time's up. Damn. That was so quick. All right. Jody, how do people follow you? Where should they go to get more Vance? Uh, Jody with a Y. So at Jody Vance on Twitter, at Jody Vance on Instagram. Um, you can find me on CKNW when I'm filling in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you like it, call in. Um, I do uh, a weekly column at the orca.ca um, and it's called The Middle. So I try and find middle ground on polarizing issues. Mm-hmm. I, I might come in hot sometimes with I'm mad at how it's going right now, but I try and always throw down a solution because sure. you can't really come down, come in hot unless you're going to offer something of value. I try to. And uh, also do Unspun Podcast every week with George Affleck. So you can find us that both the podcast and the column are at theorca.ca or on YouTube, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts like this one right here, right? <laughs> How's that for a tag? That's perfect. All right. Jody, here we are. Your Episode pleasure. 50. High tens. Put a put Thumb a bow on it. Woo. Stick a fork in it. This was so much fun. Thank you for the gift. You're welcome. Ladies and gentlemen, she's made history in this country's media landscape. Broadcaster, host, anchor, columnist, businesswoman, a true talent that we're lucky to have right here in Vancouver. She is Jody Vance. And I am Mo Amir telling you that in a city where you can be anything, be colorful. Peace.